Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC Investors Insight podcast series. I'm Katrina King, General Manager of Capital Solutions, filling in for Craig Balanzuela. Each week, we join the Liquid Market Group's Monday morning meeting to get the most important updates across all traded markets. So good morning and welcome to Monday, the 12th of October. With only three weeks to go before the US election, it should be no surprise that the polls and campaigning are now dominating market movement. As we look back over last week, the three main events were the vice presidential debate, which carried the potential of being more important than most other VP debates. It gave us deeper insight into the policies of both parties and undeniably a more professional examination of the issues. We had varying news on the likelihood or not of a fiscal package in the US before the election. We started the week thinking it was a done deal, but then had that concept quashed. And finally, an irrefutable trend in the polls for a Biden victory. To examine the implications for markets from these issues and more, I'm now going to be joined by our Head of Currency, Stuart Simmons. Stuart, last week we spoke about markets getting more buoyant on the anticipation of a fiscal relief package being passed. Would it be fair to say that the markets remaining quite resilient, despite this having been taken away from them? Thanks, Katrina. Yes, you know, last week we, we did speak about the resilience of risk assets in the face of a deluge of political noise including the diagnosis of President Trump with coronavirus. And we've certainly seen an extension of that over the past week with equities continuing to perform strongly, even in the wake of Trump's abrupt withdrawal from the much needed fiscal stimulus negotiations. This shows not only ongoing resilience in risk assets, but something deeper where there's an asymmetric reaction function to news. Bad news elicits a smaller and less durable market reaction than good news at the moment. This may reflect a market where investors are still lightly positioned, and this manifests itself through a persistent buy on dips mentality. But I also believe that this reflects a market where investors remain very comforted by a sense of insurance or backstop provided by authorities and predominantly central banks, commonly referred to as a central bank put. But it's not as though there isn't a recognition of risks surrounding the outlook of which there is an abundance. So it's not just the fiscal package. What other sort of abundant uncertainties can you name that you think would be driving the market? Yeah, well, the US presidential election provides a very obvious event risk alongside the end year deadline for the transition period from Brexit between the UK and the EU. But there's also massive headwinds from the ongoing and largely uncontained COVID pandemic, uncertainty over the timing and efficacy of a vaccine. There's uncertainty over the trajectory of economic growth as countries are weaned, either voluntarily or involuntarily, off government support. And there's a myriad of other issues, including the start of US corporate earnings season and also lingering antitrust concerns. So in in short, there remains an extremely elevated level of uncertainty and massive risks to the outlook. And it's not really all that difficult to build a negative narrative in spite of the price action. 
Given uh, that price action and, and where equity markets and risk markets are today, it, it brings back a, a sort of a couple of questions from central banks past. Should we be worried about irrational exuberance here? Or as you said before, is it central bank action and is this similar to the Bernanke put? What is really driving this resilience? Yeah, good question, Katrina. Yeah, you know, central banks and governments have shown an unprecedented level of urgency to underwrite financial and monetary conditions. And in spite of the recovery that we've seen in risk assets, with economies still remaining vulnerable to these uncertainties, there remains a determination to continue with more stimulus and liquidity rather than being tempted to roll it back. And this also provides the foundations for the optimism that we see from investors, from the perceived inevitability of a vaccine to the eventual stimulus deal from a prospective democratic US administration. Thanks, Stuart. You're listening to Katrina King, and this is QIC's Market Moments. I'm now going to bring in Beverly Morris, QIC's Director of Fixed Income and Absolute Return to the conversation. Beverly, over the last few weeks in this podcast, our commentary is really focused on the lack of volatility in rates markets. Given what Stuart said about resilience in risk markets, are you seeing any reflection of this buoyancy spill over into rates, even despite the hard clamp that many central banks have at the front end? Yeah, hi Katrina. Um, Look, it has been, I think, probably one of the more interesting weeks in global bond markets for for many months. As you said, you know, it it has been a period of very low volatility, um, very subdued intraday moves in global bond markets for quite some time. But but last week that did um, change a little bit and we we certainly saw uh, larger daily moves and and underneath it all, you know, a, a definitive creep higher in yields last week. So, so last year the U.S. Ten, uh, sorry, last week the U.S. ten-year yield um, hit its highest level since early June, um, and U.S. thirty-year yields got as high as one sixty uh, last week, having you know only been at one twenty just a couple of months ago. So, um, there was a definitive of the US yield curve last week, um, the 530s curve reaching its highest or its steepest level since late 2016, which, you know, very interestingly is coinciding with, um, you know, the the, the Trump, um, surprise Trump win US election at that point, which, which you know, I guess is a, is a really good segue in, into the discussion about what, what's driven markets this week. I mean, the 2016 election is a very good example of, of one where an unexpected outcome um, caused the bond market to significantly reassess how much fiscal policy um, was was coming its way and and you know I think that's that's definitely the story of last week and the and the moves that we saw in the US bond market where despite you know a, a, a roller coaster of a week in terms of expectations of near-term policy stimulus and, and by that of course I mean you know the, the prospect of getting pre-election stimulus passed you know it, it does seem still quite low at this point, um, although obviously anything can happen in the next um, few days, um, despite, you know, Trump getting COVID and, and, and COVID developments, particularly in Europe, looking, you know, more more dire, if anything, um, bond yields have, have lifted. Um, and I think, you know, it's the, the, the polls that we're seeing, um, particularly around, um, the, you know, the Biden odds getting uh, definitive momentum here is, is, I think, what's driving 
small markets. And I think, you know, what they're saying is that notwithstanding, you know, the near term uh, unlikely fiscal stimulus, the chances of getting um, or, or the chances of getting a disputed election, which is probably the one scenario that, you know, most markets don't want to see um, with a definitive Biden nods rising. I think the chances of that disputed election outcome have have, have decreased mm. um, and with it, that prospect of a blue wave um, and with that, you know, the, the, the potential for, you know, material fiscal stimulus next year. Thank you. I want to pick up on that point you made about the momentum that you're seeing in the polls. Uh, given the force of momentum can be quite significant in rates markets themselves as well. Are you seeing any technical levels that could be stressed or may break or may have already broken that make you really consider that that market move, that steepening that you're talking about really has further to run? Yeah, look, there are. I mean, there's there's nothing definitive um, yet. Um, you know, obviously in bond markets, what we've had is you know a long-term trend of declining yields, and that that bullish signal has been with us for a long time. Um, but the bear steepening move, and particularly the long end of the U.S. curve, because the U.S. is really where we have noticed this. Um, you know these developments in the last week. You know most other bond markets haven't haven't seen the same sort of steepening occur. Um, but you know in that long end, we've seen um, some technical signals um, break. So for example, the 200-day moving average broke last week. That's the first time it's done that in almost two years. So um, look, there's definitely some very interesting signals uh, emerging. Um, they're not definitive, and you know it will take a while to to sort of become definitive. But you know it, it's certainly for us as bond market investors having lived with the last few months of extremely low bond market volatility, um, there's certainly some very interesting signs that we're, we're, we're on the lookout for. Um, you know, we have been, you know, modestly positioned for, for higher yields and, and that hasn't really been a view, um, you know, that we've been expecting a, a yield breakout in, in any definitive way, but it, it has been our assessment that, you know, the asymmetry um, in bond markets, given the current low level of yields was such that you know if we felt that you know that the risk of higher yields was 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 uh, versus lower yields was was getting more asymmetric. So at this stage, Katrina, there's nothing definitive, um, but certainly some interesting technical signals. Um, you know, perhaps for the first time in a couple of years, that we'll certainly keep um, our listeners updated for in, in coming weeks. Thank you. And if we're to dig a little bit deeper into that rate move, because of course everyone's interested in uh, the amount of deficit that we're going to have and the cost of repaying that. How would you say that it is being driven really that that steepening across all markets? Is it real rates, any changes in expectations there, or is it more about BEIs and inflation expectations at this point? So last week it was very much about BEIs. It was very much a reflationary um, looking move. So BEIs rebounded very strongly, and in fact the 30-year BEIs are, are hitting new new cycle highs um, as we speak. So um, definitely a reflationary um, type of move, and, and you know very consistent with what we saw in in, in risk assets as a result. So real yields were a little bit higher, but you know not definitively so. Um, yeah, last week very much a reflationary move. 
Thank you. You're listening to Katrina King and this is QIC's Market Moments podcast. We've just been joined by Beverly Morris, QIC's Director of Fixed Income and Absolute Returns. And she's been talking about the rise in rate volatility, uh, some bear steepening across the curve and uh, inflation markets starting to come back a little bit. I'm now going to be joined by Richard Garland, Senior Portfolio Manager and Research Analyst for Global Credit, to find out if these moves have continued over the last Last week into credit markets. Richard, what's your take? Yeah, hi, hi Katrina. Good morning. Look, look, credit markets have been very buoyant over the last week and volatility has been particularly low. In the US and in Europe, we've seen spreads um, rally quite strongly um, and spreads are now close to the late February tights. And these were the levels seen just before the massive market dysfunction that occurred due to COVID. Through the week, we saw a steady rally, which was quite different from some of the other asset classes where we saw some large intraday moves, um, including in equities. We believe a key reason for the different vol outcomes is the reaction function to any negative headlines on US fiscal package negotiations or elections. You know, and, and to us, this makes sense. You know, the lack of credit vol, you know, given monetary policy um, and particularly low rates and, and central bank um, buying has successfully dampened vol. Um, you know, and we also saw the Fed President Powell reiterate the, the Fed's commitment to easy monetary policy in a speech earlier in the week, and that was important for soothing um, market fears. Obviously, um, if a new fiscal package was unable to be ironed out over the medium term, this would have large ramification for spreads. But for now, um, given the aforementioned, it's having little impact. Thank you. Look, we know you've had a preference for overweight credit in recent months, which I'm sure has been quite profitable for portfolios. Well done. But given you mentioned we're sort of back at late February tights, it seems that consensus is moving more neutral. Are you going to echo that view? Yeah, no, thanks, Katrina. Yes, portfolios have done um, very well from our long call, which we made back at the end of March. Um, and, and I think you are, you are right. The consensus view is probably more neutral here. But our base case is really that we're going to move through these pre-COVID tights towards post-GFC tights. And, you know, there are a number of reasons for this view. Um, firstly, you know, we've touched on this earlier, but we know that large central banks of the world are buying credit. The ECB, the BOJ and the Bank of England are buying credit in large volumes. And we also know that these buyers hold to maturity and are really price insensitive. The US Fed um, is also buying credit, but taking a bit more of a passive approach. Central banks here uh, have really cut off the negative tail for credit investors and can buy more credit if volatility increases and credit market function is hampered. Um, secondly, the supply demand technical is very strong. And, you know, we, we have discussed some of these factors earlier, but low levels of dealer inventory, the supply likely to be net negative over Q4 particularly, and continued strong inflows into the asset class will give further impetus uh, to, to credit spreads. Thirdly, you know, just changing corporate behaviour. So corporate balance sheets um, continue to favour credit over equity investors. And this means equity raises, dividend cuts and cash preservations are currently favoured to uh, to really give stability to, to balance sheets. And, you know, all these things are obviously credit positive and equity negative. And finally, just this low yield environment um, and, and, that, and that reach for yield. Um, and, and in that environment, credit securities have really become the asset of choice because the extra yield they offer over over governments is 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 very you know advantageous to to investors globally. Mm. Thank you, Richard. Such a such an interesting week for your views on credit markets. 
So to, to summarise, um, we, we're looking at um, asymmetric market reactions over sort of macro markets in general, really supported by central banks and the anticipation of fiscal stimulus. Uh, Beverly Morris has talked us through some of the vol returning to rates markets as we see uh, steepening in the rates curve. But we're not seeing that volatility in credit and it's a steady grind tighter uh, and, and much more than just a, a market beta. And I think, Richard, you've given us some compelling reasons for why you'd want to stick with credit uh, in the coming months. So thank you very much for all your time. Uh, this is QIC's Market Moments. I'm Katrina King and have a great week.